We live in a world where many people claim to be Christians. If you ask them, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. But they have no idea who God is, what He is really like, or what difference it actually makes to see Him, to know Him, and to follow God. Which is why God's Word continually calls us to look to Jesus. God's Word says to run the race by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It also says, by beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. And also, God has opened our eyes to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Only God can remove spiritual blindness. We are saved by seeing the glory of Jesus. And so this is how someone comes to faith. They recognize that they are sinners. They believe that they have offended a holy God and that they deserve to be separated from God for eternity. And the Spirit of God then opens their eyes and they see their sinful condition and they respond with complete trust alone in Jesus and what He did on the cross to pay for our sins and to be resurrected powerfully. When someone truly believes this good news message, this gospel, their eyes are open. They see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and they are born again of the Spirit. But even those of us that are trusting in Christ alone to save us, we're saved now declared justified, still we must continue looking to Jesus in order to know Him more deeply. We must keep looking to Jesus to experience more freedom from the sins that enslave us and to depend on God more fully. We must look to Jesus every day so that we can enjoy Him, enjoying His presence. And so seeing leads to savoring. Seeing the glory of Jesus leads us to enjoying Him, to savoring, to really tasting His goodness. And so this happens when we draw near to Him with His Word, in prayer, in communing with Him. Which is why we're now in the middle of a preaching series called Seeing God. What is he really like? That's been my prayer, my heart's desire for our church, that we would truly see who God is and know him. This is important because sometimes life can be very hard or painful or disappointing or uncertain. When you're walking through deep waters or when you find yourself in a terrifying storm that is raging all around you, you need to drop an anchor. The character of God is an anchor for your soul. Only God can keep you secure and filled with hope. You must know who God is in order for Him to sustain you so that you will be safe in His arms. You must know who He is. Today's sermon is called Seeing the Goodness of God. 
So we're going to be considering this morning what it means that our God is good. We must rest our souls and see a God who is always good to his children, who yearns to bless his children. Now, most people would agree that God is good. Most people would not say otherwise, oh, God is evil. No, almost everyone would agree that, yes, God is good. But even those who would say that, many have no idea what it actually means that God is good. Or how it should impact their lives to believe that God is good. And this is especially important when sometimes life does not seem to be good. So this morning we're going to meditate on a story that shows us what it means that God is good and how that changes everything in our lives. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the parallel accounts in the other Gospels tell us that this man was rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler in the city, which is why often this man is referred to as the rich young ruler. Now, this man respected Jesus as a religious leader. He calls him a good teacher, good rabbi. Verse 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You, must, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The cost to follow Jesus was just too high for the spiritual seeker. Now notice the reaction of the disciples as this young man walks away from Jesus. And Jesus explains the heart of the issue. And Jesus said, looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Now in their cultural understanding, it was considered good to have wealth. If you were a good religious person, God would reward you with a lot of money. If you were poor, it was a sign that you were not a good person. And so this rich young ruler was greatly respected. He had it all. He was wealthy, evidence of God's blessing upon him. And so they say, 
Well, who can be saved? If this man is wealthy and respected and he can't be saved, then who can? Jesus says there's greater likelihood for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for this man to find salvation. It seemed impossible to these disciples. And yet Jesus loved this man. He says he saw him, he loved him. Jesus wanted this man to experience salvation. But he walked away. This shows us a sinful condition that religion cannot save us. Our own efforts cannot save us. It is impossible. The disciples are acknowledging this. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus acknowledges, left to ourselves, it actually is impossible. Verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Salvation is impossible for us. None of us will ever be good enough to earn our salvation. None of us will ever be able to grow in our sanctification left to ourselves. We will never become God wants us to be left to ourselves. These things belong to God. It is impossible for us, but with God, the impossible is possible. And this story describes the goodness of God. And how He is good to us to do this impossible for His glory and for our good. Because His heart is good. So this story reveals the goodness of God, but it also shows us how we ought to respond to this God who is good. So there are three truths about God's goodness here in this story. Number one, the first truth that we find here is that God is the source and standard of goodness. And so God's very character is good. God is not able to sin in any way. God cannot be selfish. The heart of God is always good and generous. Psalm 84, 11 reveals this. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we see here in the Psalm, it says that God is favor and he does not keep good things. And so when we talk about the goodness of God, it refers to God having moral perfection. So his character is perfectly moral and, and this moral perfection moves God. It, it, it causes him to bless people to be kind, and to give generously. And so God's heart delights in giving good gifts. He is a good, good Father. And so by God's nature, He finds pleasure in the happiness of His people. So being good and being the Creator, we see that creation is good. Genesis 1.31 the summary statement of creation says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God looks back at all that he has created in the universe. He sees it and he declares, because he is good, 
that creation is very good. And so what is it that makes creation good? The maker is good. God is good. God is the source of all goodness. And so only God is good, which means anything and everything in your life that is good has come from God. We read earlier in his worship gathering from James chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that he gives good and perfect gifts and they all come from the Father of lights. And so every good gift that we have comes from God because he is the source of all goodness. But he is also the standard of goodness. Well, how do you know if something is good? Well, you need a standard to measure, to see if it's good or not. Now, we all understand measurements and standards. We really do. So if you ask me, Pastor Matthew, how much do you weigh? I could say, I weigh 170. Well, 170 what? 170 pounds. Or I could say, oh, no, I weigh 77. 77 what? Kilograms. And so those are just two ways of measuring weight. Those are standardized measurements that allow us to understand how much mass my body is occupying, what the weight of it is. So we have to have a standard way of, of measuring things, and goodness is no different. How do you measure goodness? What is the standard? How do we define what good even is? Do we get to define what good is on our own standard? If that's the case, then what is good will depend upon your own opinion. And I can have my opinion on what good is, and you can have your opinion on what good is, and we use our own measurement to come up with our own individual standard, what we say is good. And this sort of thinking of goodness having no ultimate standard is the reason why there is abuse and corruption and abortions and immorality. Well, it's okay. I'm okay and you're okay. But this is not true. This is unbiblical. There is an ultimate standard for what is good and we need a proper measurement to know well, what is good. The character of God is the standard. So God's character is the standard of goodness. He defines goodness. We measure what good is by the word of God. It's not up for debate. God's word defines what is good. He is the measurement for what is good because God is good. The rich young ruler called Jesus good. And Jesus says, but why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now goodness is an absolute quality that only God possesses. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so naturally, yes, Jesus is good. So Jesus was not saying that he is not one with the Father or that he is not good. He wasn't saying that. Jesus was trying to make this young, rich man to stop and think. By talking to Jesus, did this man realize who he was talking to? 
did he know that he was talking to God in the flesh? And that it is a true statement that Jesus is good in the ultimate sense. Clearly, this young man had no idea who he was talking to. He thought Jesus was just another religious leader. He tells Jesus that he has obeyed all of God's laws. We see this from verse 19. See, this man thought to himself, I've done everything right. I'm successful. How? Well, he probably thought I'm successful financially. I'm successful socially. I'm successful morally. Successful religiously. I am a good person. But Jesus, I hear that you're a good teacher. I feel sometimes like I'm missing something in my life, and I'm not sure what it is. Can you help me with that? This is the way he was approaching Jesus. But understand, by any human measurements or standard, this young man was good. The rich young ruler did not understand that God alone is a source and standard of goodness. He thought that he could earn eternal life by being good, by his religious and moral accomplishments. And we can all do this. We can do good things in order to feel superior to other people. Or we can do good things in public so others can see us and see just how good we really are. Or we can point to our good achievements and how we serve God and work for Him in the church and how good we think we are morally. And we can say to God, look at all the good that I've done. Now you do what I want. Now you owe me, God. I'm praying for this. Give it to me. I deserve it. I've done so much good for and we use our quote-unquote good works to try to control God, try to control other people. But Jesus sees right through this young man's self-deception. Jesus knows that the rich young ruler is lying to himself. He's not good. And deep down inside, he knew that he was not good. And they kept him up at night, which is why he was looking for Jesus. His soul was missing something. He didn't really have joy. Jesus tells him to picture his life without all his money. This man's true God was being exposed. You see, his money was his real joy. His real comfort, meaning, and hope. It was his idol. And this man needed a savior. The goodness of God reminds us that we can never be good enough to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't do enough good. How do you know you've done enough good? This man didn't know because we can't know. Because we can't do it. It's not possible. You see, to call Jesus good is to call Him God. We must worship Him alone. We don't get to define who Jesus is. We simply submit 
to all that he is as the source and standard of goodness, recognizing that we fall short and must only trust in him to save us because he is good. And so the first truth here that we see is with Jesus saying that only God is good is we see that he is the source and the standard of goodness. But number two, the second truth that we see about God's goodness is that God is always good. Now this can be a cliche that we use as a plot, oh God is good, but this must sink in deep and see that this is truth from God's word. God is always good. And there are two main ways that God demonstrates and proves that his character is always good. The first way is through natural blessings. You see, if this young man rejected Jesus, and yet Jesus loved him, and God had richly blessed him. See, God sends rain on the righteous and the wicked. He gives natural blessings to all humans. This is oftentimes called common grace. It's by God's grace that even those who don't love him, those who reject Jesus, still experience natural blessings. They have good health. They can be married, have children enjoy good food, have good jobs. They, there are so many natural blessings that God gives to all people. And this is showing that he has a heart that is good and moved to bless and be kind. I want to encourage you this week to sit down and make a list. I'm serious. Get a journal. Make a list of all your blessings. Thank God for everything. There's nothing too small. Thank God for smiles. Thank Him for laughter, for good food, for our tradition, especially in Ramadan. Thank Him for your little dog who runs around chasing his tail and makes you laugh. Thank God for sunshine, friends, music, everything. Thank Him. You will notice that this list will grow to be possibly several hundred items long when you stop and think about all the ways God has blessed you. If life is hard today, I especially encourage you to do this. This exercise of considering and praising God for all the good things He's given to you, all of your natural blessings. Thank Him. And you will see that the way that he's good to you really overshadows and overwhelms and is so much greater than that which is not perfect or right in our lives. We focus on our God who is good. We focus on him and his character. His natural blessings prove that he is good. But God's goodness is also revealed through redemption. So through natural blessings, but secondly also through redemption. You see, God's goodness is ultimately and finally displayed through the cross of Christ. We deserve to die and be separated from God for eternity because we have sinned against Him. We stand convicted and condemned before a holy God. And yet, just like this rich young man, Jesus loves us. And so He paid the price on the cross. Our sacrifice, His blood was shed. And he offers us forgiveness because of his work on the cross. 
And this shows that God is good to us to save us from ourselves, from our slavery to sin. You see, Jesus wanted to save the rich young man. Save him from what? Save him from his slavery to money. He had lots of money, but no peace. He had some really cool stuff, but no joy. Some great vacations, but he was empty. So the young man was good in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of the God who is truly good, he needed a Savior. And Jesus was right there loving him, offering him salvation, saying, come, follow me. Come, enjoy me. Come, focus on me. Come, enter into a relationship with me. Allow me to fill you and satisfy you. You see, God proves that he is always good by giving us good gifts and the ultimate one being salvation. But here's a question. Let's just be honest with ourselves. What about when it does not seem like God is good? When your marriage is depressing? Or maybe when you want to be married, but you don't have any good options or prospects? When your health is failing? When a loved one dies? When you're betrayed by someone you care for deeply? Or when your job is uncertain due to the economy. When life is really disappointing or painful and it does not seem like it is good, we must believe that God is always good. You see, He is not out to get you. He's not some cosmic killjoy. He wants to bless you. God is moved because of being a God who is good to bless his children. But in this fallen world, he does allow hard things to happen. But even when those hard things happen, God is still good. And he will use that pain for good in your life. See, most of us grow up in the church, we know Romans 8, 28 says that for God works all things together for good, for those who love God and call according to His purpose. And so we love that. We know that God is good and He works all things for good. And yet we sometimes don't go to the next verse, Romans 8, 29, and see how God defines what good is. Because oftentimes we think of what is good is being comfort or ease, or things going exactly the way we think they should go. And we think that when God says He works all things together for good, we think that He means more cool stuff, or no problems in life. And so we define what's good by our own selfish agendas. But God's Word says that He works all things together for good, but He defines it as being conformed to the image of Jesus. This is good. It is good that we're conformed to Christ's image, that we have more holiness, that we're further sanctified. You see, what happens when we're having hard times is that God draws us closer to Himself. We know Him more deeply. 
We depend on Him more honestly. When He strips us of our idols, we turn to Him and we pour our hearts out to Him. We see that He truly is good. And what is good? Remember, the ultimate good in life is God. And so what is the best good that God can give you? Himself. Jesus offers you more of His presence, more of Him. We sung today that God is sovereign over us and He has not forgotten us and His plans are still to prosper. Well, what does it mean that He wants to prosper? Well, He wants to prosper you with more of Himself. More of His presence. And so you can know Jesus more. Your hard circumstances are meant to draw you closer to Him. And in your pain to know that He is good. And to drink deeply from His mercy. That is prospering. That is God being good. And He's so real to you. That you trust Him in the uncertainty and you don't know what your life will look like and you are still trusting Him because you know that it's good because He will never leave you or forsake you. So God is always good. The third truth about God's goodness is that God calls us to respond to His goodness. So yes, He's the source and the standard and yes, He's always good and even in our times, but lastly, here we see that He does call us to respond to His goodness. And there are three specific ways that we respond to His goodness. The first is we repent. So we're called to repent of doubting God's goodness. I love playing Monopoly with my two older children, Joshua and Abigail. But it's funny, though, when one of them will offer me a deal where they'll want one of my properties and offer one in exchange. But it's so funny, sometimes they'll offer me a cheap old property and they'll want one of my premier properties. Well, when they do that, I just tell them, no deal. Offer me something good that I want. And then we'll talk about the deal. When Jesus told the rich young man, give up your money, he was offering him a deal. He was saying, I love you. Give up your money. Give up your idol. And you will get me. The young man thought about this deal. And he walked away grieved. He basically said, Jesus, you're just not worth it. That's a bad deal. Offer me something good that I want. And then we'll talk. Jesus wasn't enough. You see, this rich young man related to his money the way that Jesus relates to the Father. Money was this man's greatest treasure. Jesus was now calling him to give up his greatest treasure to get the ultimate treasure. And God is calling you today. Jesus is calling you to relate to Him the way that He relates to the Father. For Jesus, the Father is His greatest treasure. And Jesus wants 
to be your greatest treasure. That is the point of the story, that this rich young man treasured, idolized money more than he loved God. What do you treasure the most? What are you treasuring more than Jesus? Repent. Repent of doubting that he is good. Repent of seeing more goodness, more glory, more beauty in something else. You see, here's the thing. If you made a checklist of everything in your life that you would want, a wife, a job, money, vacations, whatever it is, you make your checklist of all those things that you think are good, that you would want most, if God gave them all to you, your soul would still not be satisfied. You would still want more. Because only Jesus can satisfy you. And so repent of doubting God's goodness. Second response is recognize. First you repent and then you recognize God's goodness. Beg the Spirit of God to open your eyes to see the goodness of God in your life. May we stand in awe of our glorious God who is forever good to us. May we see it. May we will thank Him for all the ways that He is so good and always been faithful. Recognizing God's goodness is always there will help us to repent of our ingratitude. So we have to see how good He's been and continues to be and will be tomorrow. Which is lastly, we respond by resting. So we rest in God's goodness. See, this rich young man was trying to find rest for his soul. But he refused to rest in the goodness of God. He walked away from Jesus, grieved with no peace. What are you hoping? Be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself or to your God. Are you really resting in Jesus, who is good to you? Do you really trust Him? I mean, we say it, but really, are you trusting in it and trusting your soul to Him? What does that look like to rest in the goodness of God? Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20 gives us a beautiful picture of just what it looks like to rest in the goodness of God. It says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them in the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. So we see here what does it look like to rest in God's goodness? You draw near to Him by praying like the psalmist does and pouring your heart out to Him, your soul finding your refuge in His goodness, experiencing His presence, it says. Hiding yourself in Him, finding shelter in Him. The character of God becomes your shelter who is good to you. This is done through the Word, through prayer, a relationship of ongoing communion with Jesus. This is knowing Him, truly resting your soul in Him. The heart of God is good. And He is moved to bless His people and give us only good gifts. Even when it seems as though he's not being good from our vantage point, 
We trust God who is all-wise and sovereign and who is good, that He is working it for our good and for His glory. Do you know this good God? If you don't know Him, if you do so today, you can come talk to me. You can express your complete trust in Jesus to save you. If you are a believer, are you drawing near to Him? Are you honestly doing it? You know, the goodness of God should fill us with such hope. It should give us confidence. Go and be bold for Jesus. What is He calling you to do? Well, He is good. And you are loved. You don't have to be afraid. Through the power of the Spirit, we can reflect His goodness in everyday life by doing good to others, by being generous. And this only is possible the power of God as we're resting our souls in the God who is good. Does your life reflect the goodness and generosity of God? Well, as we continue to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we will increasingly take on His character for His glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for giving us the privilege of knowing you and helping others to know you as well. I pray that you would make us a church that so knows who you are, that we are seeing you for who you really are today, considering that you are good. May we respond with trusting you, repenting of not being trusting and recognizing your goodness. Help us to rest our souls in you. And help us to help others to see you and to know you. Maybe a church is truly on a mission because you are so good to us. And we pray this in your name of our King Jesus.